0: I quickly learned that what was most important from the people who were buying from me was that they wanted to look good to their boss or their boss's boss or their board.
1: Best ever listeners, where are you going to be on February 22nd and 23rd? I am visualizing that you're going to be in Denver, Colorado, because that's where the best ever conference is. And that's when it is February 22nd, 23rd, go to besteverconference.com and even put in Take 5, so you get 5% off your ticket. So that is T-A-K-E and the number 5 whenever you purchase your ticket. And buy now because ticket prices go up weekly. So go to besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference, the agenda, the speakers we've got an incredible speaker list focused on commercial real estate so that includes five plus units if you're in multifamily and you're going to get a lot of value from this conference go to besteverconference.com it's the third time we've done it it improves every year and we have raving reviews i'm not just saying it ask people who have attended every year com. Enter take five, T-A-K-E five when you purchase your ticket and get an extra 5% off. Ticket price is going up weekly, so get it today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Grant Sabatier. How you doing, Grant? I'm
0: good, Joe. How are you?
1: I am doing well and nice to have you on the show. Grant is the creator of Millennial Money and host of a whole bunch of finance podcasts. He writes about personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and mindfulness and has been featured in over 200 media outlets. His website's millennialmoney.com. Based in New York City now, with that being said, Grant, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: Yeah. So thanks for the introduction, Joe. My story starts back when I was 24. I was living at home with my parents. After college, I'd bounced around a number of different jobs and ended up getting laid off twice and finding myself back living in my parents' home and sleeping in the bed that I'd slept in as a seven-year-old kid. (laughs) It's where my financial independence journey started It was at that point that I had to completely reinvent myself, and from that day in August 2010, it took me five years and three months to reach financial independence at the age of 30. So there's a five-year period where literally 18 hours a day, I was making money, launching side hustles, growing two different companies, and yeah, really had a ton of fun doing it, and real estate actually factored pretty heavily into that entire process, and I'm excited to chat about it.
1: Well, I'm excited for you to chat about it too. Just so we know how you define it, how much money were you making by the age of 30? So by
0: the age of 30, I was making a little over half a million dollars. After investing in taxes and all that good stuff, I was saving about 62% of my income.
1: Cool. All right. Got it. So you're making a little over $500,000 and you're saving, did I hear that correct? 62% of that?
0: Yeah, that's correct.
1: Okay, cool. Well, you piqued my curiosity. Let's go back to your seven-year-old bed. What'd you do from there?
0: (laughs) So in August, 2010, my parents had told me that I could crash there for about three months and I was at month two and I'd sent out over 200 resumes really into the abyss and hadn't gotten a single call back. And it was at this time I was doing a search on my phone and I saw a little Google mobile ad and I was like, huh, what's this? I'd never seen one before. So I started researching it and figured out that you could make between 10 and 20% of media spend to manage Google ad campaigns. And what was more exciting is that you could actually get certified through Google for free. And so I had no digital ad experience whatsoever. Didn't know anything about Google campaigns. So I dove into their free YouTube videos and the Google AdWords University and I got certified. And it took me about 30 days to do that. And I applied to a couple digital marketing jobs and ended up getting the first one that I applied to and was off to the races making $50,000. It was at that time where I was like, okay, I'm going to treat money very differently. I'm going to figure this out. Money is really essentially just a human invention. How can I? really put all of my attitudes, all of my thoughts about money, all of my emotions, how can I kind of put them in a box and set them to the side and look at money as a philosophical concept, as something we embed so much meaning into. So I started looking at money from so many different angles and really fell in love with not only how it can change your life, but how to make money in really counterintuitive ways. And real estate factored in pretty heavily into this process. I got kicked out of my parents' house pretty quickly, got the job, gave me the boot, and <laughs> I did you, knew- did
1: you, did you try to convince them to stay? I was ready to leave, uh-huh. but it was the you first were time I been proactive it. about it, though. They kind of came I, up to you. <laughs> it was kind of just a
0: confluence of a couple of weeks where I was like, all right, you got to get out of here. <laughs> I got my first paycheck, and I was excited to start investing the money, and I was like, hey, if I could just stay here for free- yeah. But it was short
1: lived. Get out of here, uh, kid. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. So the best decision that I made was to move into the cheapest apartment that I could find. Mm-hmm. So I'd moved to Chicago. That was where the job was. I got settled and I found a seven hundred dollar a month apartment when all my friends were living in fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollar a month apartments. I found literally the cheapest apartment that I could find that had two bedrooms. I needed two bedrooms because I wanted to have a little office. and Bad areas? It wasn't a bad area. It was a transitioning area. It was just a really crappy apartment. Okay. It was just old. If it had been fixed up, it probably would have gone for double the price, but it was just something the landlord and the management company were just super lazy. And actually, once I moved out a couple of years later, they ended up redoing it and almost did double the rent. Mm-hmm. So I found kind of a, an undervalued place and was able to bank pretty much every dollar that I would have spent on housing above that into investments. And just renting that apartment for a little over two years, I've now calculated that investing the additional money, I invested an extra $800 a month. It's actually helped me earn almost $200,000 more
1: Wow! for my investments. Did you have student loans, by the way? I had a
0: little bit of student loans. What I had more of was credit card debt. I'd actually gotten an academic scholarship So I was very fortunate. I'd taken out a few loans, but I'd paid them off over the course of actually college because I didn't want to graduate debt. But I I did have about $20,000 in in credit card debt.
1: Dang. Okay.
0: I was certainly hedging there, but just the compounding impact of that one decision of renting the crappiest apartment I could, the one that my now wife, but then girlfriend, she literally wouldn't come over to hang out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy she stayed with me, but I focused on reducing that expense. And then two years in, I ended up buying my first property in downtown Chicago, which was in a loft building, actually where they printed the Sears catalog for almost 70 years. And I found a really incredibly unique property. I took the route of how can I find a property that has immense historic value and is also something you can't go and build it today. I had over a hundred feet of windows east facing, just an absolutely gorgeous apartment, and I was able to buy it. I looked specifically in the month of November and December because Chicago, when it's zero degrees, very few people are looking for properties. And I was able to find a guy who had been trying to sell it for a little while and he was desperate and he needed to get it sold by the end of the year. So I was able to lock in about $60,000 worth of equity immediately just on the purchase price. And then I bought a parking spot from him separately for cash. I paid $12,000 for a $40,000 parking spot. And that got me into investing in parking spots, which is something I'd never scaled, but actually ended up being quite profitable from a real estate investment standpoint.
1: What was the purchase price? Of the property in Chicago? Yep.
0: $272,000.
1: Okay. And this is
0: a 2,000 square foot open loft, 11th floor, National Historic Landmark building. The only kicker was the assessments were incredibly high just because the head of the board, he was really conservative and they wanted to keep a million dollars in reserves at all times. So that was one of the kickers that ended up making it a little challenging to rent once I did leave the apartment. Okay. So yeah, that was a really great investment from a real estate standpoint. There was also, I started airbnb it quite early. So one of the things I was actually able to do is I had a friend who lived a couple of blocks away and I was able to rent out my loft for about $300 a night. And for a period of about six months, I was able to completely offset the cost of the mortgage on that property and reduce just basically bank and invest the difference. My Girlfriend ended up moving in with me, and that was no longer possible, but I was able to bank that investment. And since then, I've invested in a couple of other properties, also in historic buildings. That's something I'm particularly passionate about. And one of the things in Chicago, actually, during this time, they built about 5,000 rental units within a quarter of a mile of this property. And what was interesting is the property is actually more than doubled in value since I bought it in the year 2012. So it was an incredible investment. And then these historic properties is something, like I said, I'm I'm incredibly passionate about because they're not making any more of them. And they're really like art pieces in a way. And that's something I, I wanted to invest in the most beautiful homes that I could invest in because A, they attract a more sophisticated renter. And you're able to get a higher price point because it's something that is very unique.
1: So within these five years, you're buying in historic buildings, renting them out via Airbnb, offsetting your mortgage, making some cash on the side. What else were you doing?
0: Oh, gosh, so many other things. So at this point, I had two digital marketing agencies that I was growing. I so had wait, so, enough...
1: you le- so you left your 50K job?
0: Yeah, I left the 50K job after a year. Okay. And so that year was a incredible learning experience for me. It was like getting a PhD in digital marketing because I was working for a 30-person agency. And I was like a sponge. I spent as much time as I could with the SEO guys, with the web developers, with the designers. But most importantly, I spent time with the sales guys. And one of the things I quickly learned was that our agency wouldn't take clients who wouldn't spend at least $10,000 a month in fees on campaign management or pay less than $50,000 for a website. So I was able to form a good relationship with the sales guys and say, Hey, if someone calls us and they have a smaller budget, could I talk to them? And it was completely fine with the CEO. So I was able to pick up some of my first clients. They had called the agency, but they were too small for us to work with. And then through that process, I became very, very good at selling By the end of that first year, I was making over $300,000 just through my own side hustles in addition to the full-time gig. So I made the leap and went full-time into entrepreneurship with the specific goal of trying to make a million dollars as quickly as possible. That was the singular focus in my life. Fortunately, but kind of unfortunately too, because I did burn through the end of my 20s working literally the entire time, but I had a goal. I wanted to essentially buy my freedom as quickly as I could. I never wanted tens of millions of dollars. I simply wanted enough that it would give me the freedom to go and then pursue other projects that I was passionate about and just take off the stress of having to always grind. I was on the road at one point 35 weeks a year, servicing clients and speaking at conferences. And I knew that that wasn't going to be sustainable long-term. I also didn't want to work till I was 65. Both my parents are in their early 60s and they're still working, still chucking away. And that was one of the things. I was so burnt out even by the time I was 24. I was like, all right, I got to find the escape hatch here. And I fell in love with money in the process, not in terms of from a greedy perspective. I fell in love with the potential that it has to transform people's lives. And it's never been easier in history to make more money, whether it's through real estate or side hustling or making money online or selling your knowledge. It's literally never been easier in history, but a lot of people think they need degrees or they have to spend just tons and tons of time learning. Not that it's easy, but it's easier. And that's one of the things that really excited me most. I went from selling $500 websites to $50,000 websites within a year. You know, I was really kind of hooked on, hey, how do you sell the same thing to two different people, but get one to pay literally a hundred times more?
1: How do you do that?
0: Ah, great question. It really comes down to understanding the perception of the value of what you're selling. So I think a lot of people, they think about making money the wrong way. They're like, I've got to be busy. I've got to spend all this time. I've got to even over-deliver, and while delivering, obviously, value and over-delivering is kind of one path to making money, I quickly learned that what was most important from the people who were buying from me was that they wanted to look good to their boss, or their boss's boss, or their board. So I focused a lot of my energy on helping my clients communicate the value of what I was doing and what they were doing through working with me all the way up the food chain. So I actually ended up spending an inordinate amount of time crafting emails that my clients could send to their boss, could send to their board, could send to their CEO, being like, here's what we're doing. Here's how it's working out. Here's the data. Here's the new website. So when I sort of flipped it, and instead of trying to just sell my client and add value to my client, I made my clients look really good to their bosses. And that's when I realized that I was actually selling because a website's a website. But if you can get the director of marketing at a big law firm, if you can make them look amazing to the CMO and to the partners, that's a win-win across the board. They're going to give you more business. They're going to give you more referrals. So I focused on increasing the perceived value of what I was selling. In addition to, you can sell the same thing to two people, but the person who has more money and more at stake from that thing that you're creating, they're obviously more likely to pay you more money as well. So I was able to go in really as a solo practitioner at first and be able to underprice big agencies using the pitch, hey, it's me and my small team. We're able to move faster, we're gonna over deliver, and we're gonna make you look amazing to your boss. So that that ended up being the secret sauce and I figured out kind of the art and science of pricing. And then sometimes you just got to shoot for the fences. And that was one of the things I did a couple of times. The first six-figure engagement that I sold was literally a lead that had come through my website. And I just was like, I've got a lot going on right now. Hey, I'm going to try to make $100,000 on this website. And they bit. And that was something where if I would undervalued and underestimated and, and just not tried, I never would have gotten there. And then finally, the last thing is I spent a significant amount of time calculating my actual real hourly wage. And this is one of the things a lot of people don't understand is even if you're making $200,000 in your full-time job, but you have to travel all the time, you have to spend time decompressing from work, you actually are spending a lot more time on your job than you probably realize. And when you divide those number of actual hours that you're spending into your salary or your paycheck, I did this with one of my friends. He was making over $300,000 as a management consultant. And when we actually ran the numbers, he was making $37 per hour because he was on the road so often. He quit his job a couple of weeks later and then moved into a less paying job that took less time. So his actual real hourly wage almost doubled and he was a lot happier. So a lot of people spend significant amounts of time trying to Make money when they could move to a job making less money, but they'd actually free up more time. And then the final thing is once I realized that a vast majority of companies are really just legal Ponzi schemes, it's like they're built so the person at the top makes the most money. That was a huge eye opener for me. And that was something that I share with my audience that I've talked a lot about because at the end of the day, the whole value of a company, of being a company owner, is that you can create efficiency and you can leverage other people's time. So then you're in the business of selling someone else's time instead of selling your own. And that becomes really the multiplier effect where I was then able to start selling websites. And I just became the broker and the connector of supply and demand. I actually wasn't doing any of the work myself. And so that's where the real value exchange can happen because you no longer have to trade as much, if any, of your time for money.
1: Yeah. Those were some profound insights sell someone else's time, not your own, and in order to really let that resonate or have that sink in, then calculate how much you're actually making on an hourly rate wage. And then the other thing that you mentioned is make the clients look really good to their bosses. So I always think, how does this apply towards what I'm doing? And holy moly, it applies with my investors when we're performing on a project make sure that they're aware of it. Now I do monthly communications, but what you might have inspired me to do, I don't know, I have to think through it a little bit more, is whenever we do a refinance or a sale of one of our properties or a supplemental loan, I might do a special email just recapping what all has transpired in more of a storytelling format versus what I have done in the past, which is, hey, here's what you're receiving and here's the status of the property, just so that they can then forward that on to their significant other who they're probably is their boss (laughs) in some ways. And their significant other can then look at that like, hey, nice job, proud of you for finding this investment. And that makes them feel better. And then it just increases their likelihood of reinvesting.
0: Absolutely. Life is storytelling. It really is. And the better you are at communicating the value, just like you said, of being an investor in one of your projects, the higher the retention the better the person who invested with you looks. And this is one of the things is like, yes, more and more of our lives are being automated, but that actually increases the value of human connection. And you have to think that the written word has only existed for a very small amount of the time that we'd been humans. A vast majority of the time we were telling stories It was communicated. It's literally wired into our DNA. And so the better you are at telling stories and communicating that value, the more seamless that it is, the better people feel, the stronger the connection. One of the things that I've done in a lot of my writing is the more open and vulnerable I am, the bigger the audience grows, the stronger the connection. When I make a mistake with money, I talk about it. You know, I'm open about it. And that's one of the things probably a little more difficult to do when you have investors, but- you could be like, hey, here's a mistake that I made too, because actually people connect with those human mistakes because it creates a level playing field. Everyone likes to see the human side. They don't just want to see all fluff, all plump, all positive storytelling as well. And I think that was important too when I was selling. When I messed up, I owned it. When I made a mistake, I owned it. And sometimes even leading with that And then giving the good story became a pretty effective process.
1: And we'll get into one of those mistakes. But first, what's your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: Oh, gosh. Try to live for free as long as you can. And there's a number of ways to obviously live for free. You know, you can say your parents, but no one wants to do that. The easier way is when you're, especially when you're young, live in your closet, live in the basement, live in a spare room, rent out the other rooms for as long as you can. Nothing is forever. That's one of the big mistakes people think. It's like, oh gosh, my living situation sucks. I don't want this. But be uncomfortable for a couple of years so you can bank the difference because every single dollar that you save today is worth significantly more than a dollar you're gonna save in five years. So try to save and invest as much of that money as you can, whether it's through living with someone else or through house hacking, all the different forms of house hacking that are out there, or even house sitting. Some of the best investors that I know, they're flexible and they go from city to city and they house it and they live for free. So the average American spends most of their money on housing. That's the biggest expense. And so if you can keep that as low as possible or even make money from it and bank the difference, you're going to be better off than 99% of the people out there.
1: We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it, Joe. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our Best Ever partners. Best Ever listeners, Best Ever Conference, that's where you want to be, February 22nd and 23rd in Denver, Colorado. Put in the code TAKE5, T-A-K-E, and the number 5 to get an extra 5% off. Ticket prices go up weekly, so buy it today, besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference at the website all about the speakers. You can read about them and what you will experience when you're there, besteverconference.com. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end of the work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. All right. Best ever book you've recently read?
0: The Art of Living by Teek Nhat Hanh.
1: Best ever real estate deal you've done that we haven't talked about?
0: We've talked about all of them. So I'll say the first property. I think the first property you buy is the most important real estate investment that you're going to make in your career.
1: Top three in order sources of income for you right now?
0: Right now, blog affiliate income and sponsored content income is number one. Number two would be income from my book contract and my book deal. And number three would be rental income.
1: What's a mistake you've made on a transaction?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I actually recently sent a wire internationally to the wrong place. Did you get it back? I did get it back, but it took quite a bit of time.
1: (laughs) A couple sleepless nights.
0: No, it didn't lead to any sleepless nights, but it was just a careless mistake that ended up costing me a lot of money. I also realized recently that an affiliate link on my website had been wrong for over two months and I lost about $20,000 worth of income from it.
1: Why did the wire cost you a lot of money if you got the money back?
0: I wouldn't say it cost me money. It was just one of those situations where it took me about three months to get the money back. For a period, I thought that it was completely lost and it was about 40 grand. So it wasn't an insignificant amount of money.
1: That wasn't a sleepless night when you thought you'd lost $40,000?
0: No, actually, interestingly, the more money that I've made, and I don't have tens of millions of dollars, but the more money I've made, the less it kind of means to me. It has diminishing returns in a way. So something like that, well, it more upsets me than it does kind of keep me up at night because I'm the kind of guy... If I actually never got it back, I'd actually probably double down and try to make that $40,000 back faster just because it would give me more motivation. But just like I've probably lost $150,000, $170,000 just in the past couple of months on some of my investment declines just because the market sense are crazy. But once again, you only lose the money when you withdraw, when you lock it in. But those types of shifts and even actually the $25,000 affiliate link made me more upset than The Wire
1: best ever way you like to give back?
0: Oh, this is great. Giving back my time. Actually, most of the work that I do now is mission-driven work. Sometimes there's not a high ROI from a monetary standpoint at all, but I find that giving your time is actually significantly more valuable than giving money. And that's one of the things that I've learned and I'm trying to give my time away as much as I can.
1: How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on?
0: Best two ways are millennialmoney.com and then I have a book dropping, financialfreedombook.com. My book's coming out in a bunch of different languages all over the world, February 5th. Check it out. It's everything that I've learned about money over the past eight years and how you can become financially independent as fast as possible. So check out millennialmoney.com, financialfreedom.com. Book.com, and those are the best two places to find me.
1: Well, congrats on the upcoming book, and looking forward to checking that out. And thank you so much for being on the show talking about how you've progressed from living with parents after graduating college, getting laid off a couple of times as a 24 year old, to making over $500,000 in five years from that time, and how you are doing that through your digital marketing companies and how you did that through those companies, which was you made clients look really good to their bosses, powered through some limiting beliefs, and looked at your time relative to your hourly wage that you are spending, and then started selling other people's time, not your own, and scaled the company accordingly and what you've done to date since then. So really interesting. And also on the real estate front, buying in historic buildings and buying things that can't be built today. You mentioned earlier a bunch of floor-to-ceiling windows facing east. I assume that's a big deal in Chicago, the facing east part. Is that the river? Is that what it would face?
0: Yeah, you're facing the river and just the sun in the morning. It could be five degrees outside, but it'd be 70 and warm because you get that morning sun.
1: Ah, beautiful. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best summer day, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Yeah, thanks, Joe. I really appreciate
1: it. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.